And I love the Bronson family, and I appreciate them so much. And I, listening to David this morning, I told uh, both Mike and Tara that I'm pretty convinced that they picked the wrong kid up at the hospital when they brought him home. <laughs> All that smartness comes from somewhere. Uh, maybe it was my influence on him for a couple years. I don't know, but it... Uh, uh, it was a blessing to hear David this morning and to see what God is continuing to do in his life. It's a blessing to be in this church. Now, I want to ask you today, by the way, just thank you for the weekend. Thank you for inviting me to come. I'm always thankful wherever I get, well, most of the time, I'm thankful wherever I get invited to come. Uh, but I'm really, I looked forward to this. Uh, back in 2018, 2019, I had the privilege of being with you all and you had Tom Elliff, and you had Steve Dighton, and you had several other speakers, Dr. Robert Matz, who is now the president of Hannibal LaGrange College. So it was, it was fun to be here, and it's been good to be here this weekend. You put me up in a very nice, nice hotel, big, big fluffy towels. I like to never got my suitcase closed uh, this morning. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's just nice to be here, and you've been good to me, and I thank you. But I look forward to getting home to Mama. That's always how it is. She said she didn't sleep real well last night, and I didn't sleep real well last night, and think part of it is just the fact that I'm thinking, okay, what time is it, you know? Uh, thinking, I can't oversleep, not on a day like this. It would be impossible to do that, but uh, cr crazier things have happened. But I'm just uh, thankful. Um, Mary Beth, another very smart person, um, and I were talking a while ago about how this whole world has changed. So 2018, um, we were here. 2019, we were here. And so 2019, after I was here, go back, I began to preach a series of sermons at the very first of 2020. And of course, every preacher in the country was trying to give the church 2020 vision. Like, we all have 2020 vision. We all know what's going to happen. And I actually preached a, a sermon that went along with the song that I think uh, probably, I think Bill Gaither wrote it. It goes something like this. I just feel like something good is about to happen. That was the beginning of 2020. <laughs> I just feel like something good is on. Nobody calls me a prophet. I am not a prophet. And I couldn't see what was going to happen. I couldn't see what was going to happen on January, uh, January the, or I, could, I couldn't see what was going to happen with uh, uh, all that would come with COVID. I couldn't see what was going to happen with all that would come with our election. I couldn't see what was going to happen with January the 6th the next year. I couldn't see with what is going to happen in war breaking out in Ukraine or what's going on with our economy or what's going on with... Uh, uh, our nation in terms of um, our whole turn, up, turn the basket upside down with regard to what marriage means in our world today, or even people that can't say, well, there are, there's a male and a female. You know, uh, to say that to so many people is offensive, and like, I'm offended that you think that's offensive. I mean, it's just, uh, but, but that, those things are things that we are living with. And then one month ago today, uh, actually, the 8th of October, I was preaching at Beaverlick Baptist Church in Beaverlick, Kentucky, which is where 
uh, Betty and I were married nearly 50 years ago. It was a homecoming Sunday, and I just noticed a little blip about that there had been an incursion out of Gaza over into Israel, and at that point in time, we didn't know the full scope of what was going on there. Now, all of that is to set up and talk a little bit about this, uh, this message. And what I feel like God wants me to talk about this morning is, you know, we really don't know all that's going on in the world, but we really do know who's in control of the world. And so I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me this morning to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, and I'm going to be very simple this morning. This is not a complicated message at all, but I do want to talk a little bit about Israel, and I want to talk a little bit about God's plan for Israel. You may or may not agree with what I have to say, but ultimately I would just simply say this so you can rest at ease. There are not two plans of redemption for Israel. There's one. They must believe in Jesus Christ. And so the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 11 that the day is going to come so, Paul wrote, so that all of Israel shall be saved. Now, where are we headed? What's going on? What's going to happen? The only way that anybody is saved today is through believing in Jesus Christ. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was my, maybe a different kind of Pharisee, I don't know, than the one that David described in the first service this morning. But he was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He came to Jesus by night, and Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That wasn't the question he was asking, but he said to him, you must be born again. And I would say that if Jesus is saying that to that religious Jew 2,000 years ago, he is saying the same thing to Israel today. You must come to Christ. But he is saying the same thing to you and to I, to me today, that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is simply the name of Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Now, I want you to look at this text today. In my outline, I'll give you my outline, and then we'll just probably depart from it. But point number one is headlines headlines. Point number two is timelines. Point number three is guidelines. And point number four is deadlines. Now here are the headlines. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 1. The burden of, that's in the Old Testament. I hear pages turning. I love to hear pages turning. And if I see you, you know, I mean, some of you are using your phone, but you're actually keeping, keeping up with the football game. I know what you're doing. I have no doubt about that. Right on the front row. So, you're trying to find out what Travis Swift is doing today. I get the idea. So, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. I'm sorry about that. I always leave the pastor to clean up the messes. <laughs> the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel. Zechariah is saying, this is heavy. Israel, God's people, the Holy Land, has been through so much. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling 
unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Now, folks, Israel, Jerusalem has been under siege many times. Many, many times. It's not just what's going on now, but you have to look, and, and if you've ever been to Israel, you know that one layer of civilization is built upon another layer of civilization and another layer of civilization and another layer of civilization so that their archaeologists are never going to run out of things to do. They're just digging down, and they keep finding it. But the point is that Zechariah makes that Israel is a cup of trembling. Now, I can see that in my mind. You know, this may be why we saucer our coffee. Maybe this is why saucers were invented to begin with, is that you set a cup of coffee on a saucer, and you bring it to someone, because if you tremble and your cup is too full, what's going to happen? It's going to splash out all over the place. And in fact, I think that is the picture that Zechariah is drawing here. Israel, Jerusalem in particular, is a cup of trembling. And if you get involved in this cup of trembling, you can expect to get some of it splashed on you. I am not being political. Okay? John, or Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3. And then that day... Will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people? All the, burden, all the burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. So here's the headline. You know what it is. This morning, after I got up, I checked my news app on my phone. And there were two things that popped up, the two lead stories. One was that, that uh, Blinken is in the Middle East meeting with the Palestinian leaders and trying to come up with some kind of a, a temporary ceasefire, message, uh, a mission of mercy, or, or whatever you might call it at this point. And I mean, we're all just watching this thing. We're all just blown away with it as to what's happening there. So... We know that Israel is in the center of the news. The second thing was just across the page that I was looking at was in a poll in Florida, Donald Trump had beat DeSantis. So you've got a little bit of what's going on in the U.S. politics, but you've got what's going on in Israel. And the primary thing that is taking place in our world today is this thing that is going on in Israel. And should we be surprised by that? Zechariah says, Israel is a, Jerusalem is a cup of tremblings. Jerusalem is a burdensome stone. And you pick up that stone, it's liable to roll back upon you. And you pick up that cup, it's going to splash all over you. So the headlines today are all centered on a place where the headlines have been centered, maybe we could say, for 6,000 years. And that is Israel. So that's the headline. Now... Let's look at the timeline. God has put timelines in His Word. So I need seven volunteers. I need seven volunteers. And you got to be strong and brave and come up here because I, I want to show... I'm going to do a picture lesson right now and use seven volunteers. Here's one over here. Would you just come on up? Tara, would you just come on up? Okay, she's coming. All right, I need... Uh, let's see. That's one, two, three. Brother Mike, I saw your hand. That's four. If you would come on up. Uh, five, uh, six, thank you for your brave souls, seven, come on up, 
Okay, we've got seven. We've got seven. Okay, so, Han, I want you, I want, I'm going to move you to the head of the line. Just stay with her, Tara, because she, she is one that I picked out of the crowd. So she uh, and I were talking earlier, and she's going to be number one position, number two position, number three position, number four position, number five position, number six, number seven. Okay, you all just kind of spread out a little bit. Just like, stay with me. Don't anybody leave. So there are, in God's Word, there there is in God's Word. My mother was an English teacher. And, uh, yeah, I got a C in there. Uh, but there is in God's Word a movement of God, a clear movement of God, that God, you know, God does things in seven. Have you heard about that? I mean, seven is the number of perfection. But uh, someone sat down and calculated it all out that there are seven great movements in God's Word. Now, so what you have here, I mean, like, all the way from the beginning to the end. So what I'm going to do in these next uh, five minutes or so, going to go, y'all, hang in here for a minute. We're going to go all the way through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. So this young lady here, and tell me your name again, Lynn? Leland. Leland? Leland. Leland. Okay, I have a Lindley as a granddaughter. So Leland represents creation. Don't you think this is a good choice? Because she is beautiful. She is perfect. We won't ask her parents about that, but <laughs> perfection. Uh, and, and we know that even all, every one of us up here have a sin nature, but she is, this is the way that God made the world. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created it, and he looked at it, and he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And when he saw, you know, that he had created Adam and Adam didn't have a mate, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. My wife says that every time she's left the house for a few days and comes back. She will say, it is not good that man should be alone. <laughs> but God created a perfect world. Perfect. Without sin. When you look in the garden... There was no corruption there. There was no sin there. There was no curse there. This is what we call creation. Now, that's not what I was taught when I went to the University of Kentucky. Uh, when I went to the University of Kentucky, I was taught that nothing went into nothing and became something. And that something was maybe a little one-celled amoeba of some sort swimming around in some kind of primordial soup, primordial pond, and it, so it's swimming around, and, and as it swims around and swims around, it, it, it gets caught in the mud. And they're close to the edge of that primordial pond, and, and it wiggles around in there, and little, egg, uh, little legs grow out from the bottom of it as it's trying to get its way out. So it, it finally crawls up on ground, and it's running along on its legs, and then it comes to a tree, and it climbs a tree, and it's swinging through the tree by its tail, and the tail gets caught in a branch, and it falls out of this tree, and it stands up on its hind legs and says, I'm a man now, and walks across the street and gets a job teaching in college. This is, this is the theory of evolution. Yeah. Once I was a pollywog beginning to begin, then I was a tadpole with my tail tucked in, then I was a monkey in a banyan tree, now I'm a professor with a Ph.D. This is the theory of evolution. Creation. Corruption. 
I told you. Corruption. So, you know, what we had in the garden, God made everything made perfect. Satan enters in and mentions, as David said this morning, Yea, hath God said, Thou shalt not eat of any tree of the garden. God knows in the day you eat of it, you shall become as gods, knowing good and evil. And so she took of the fruit, she gave it to her husband, he did eat, and sin came, along with sin came corruption, along with sin came death, along with sin came disease, and every one of us today are still living under the effects of what took place in the Garden of Eden. Creation, corruption, catastrophe. <laughs> so, I mean, really, what you have is you have the creation of mankind, you have the fall of man, and then it, it, God, it grieved God that he ever made man to start with, and God says, I'm just going to wipe them out all the way down. I'm going to kill everything, and we're just, yeah, everything. But Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Noah and his three sons, their wives, and God took them through the flood. God remembered Noah. God closed the, the door to the ark so that Noah was safe. And as somebody said concerning the, the security of our salvation, Noah may have fallen down in the ark, but he never fell out of the ark. Now, that's a good way to look at it. But so we have creation. Say that with me. Creation. Corruption. Corruption. Catastrophe. Catastrophe. Say that again. Catastrophe. <laughs> I want to make sure you get this. And so that's what happened. The flood came and destroyed everything. What's your name? Uh, Julian. Julian. Julian represents confusion. Now this is, a, sorry Julian, but this is the next thing that happened, and that was you can sum up all that took place in the Old Testament with all the kings and all the king's horses and all the king's men. With this, the Bible says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It was a very confusing place. But God began to raise up prophets, and they began to prophesy of a day when a Messiah would come that the Christ would come. And so we have creation. This is just how the Bible flows. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, catastrophe, <laughs> catastrophe, <laughs> confusion. You're representing Christ. Aren't you glad? <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God sent his son, made him to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And all of our hope is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. Then after Christ, you're representing the church. Actually, let's swap you out. You just got traded. Did I upgrade? Uh, I think you did. I think you did. But what's your name? Angelina. Angelina is representing the church, which is what? The bride of Christ, okay? So what took place was that God sending his son, what's your name? Gordon. God sent Gordon. No, God sent Jesus <laughs> to die on the cross for our sins. And then, as you know, the rest of the story, I mean, you've read the Bible, you understand that we're living today in what age? We call it the church age because the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, brought forth the bride, and we're looking for that day when he is going to come. We are the bride of Christ, okay? We're represented in Angelina. We are the bride of Christ.
And then, what's your name? Alicia. Alicia. Alicia represents the consumption or the consummation of the age. It is the end of all things. This is where we're moving. So if we were to look at what God did in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, stay with me for a minute. You know that we're not living in the day of creation. Creation, corruption. I got it. <laughs> you sure do. Catastrophe. Confusion. My point is, this is past history in the Bible. This is past history with ongoing results. This is history in the Bible. This is history, the days of confusion. Jesus Christ coming into the world the first time, that's a historical event. It actually happened. The church age, which is where we're living today, are you with me? Are you getting this timeline? We're living here today with only one thing left to happen if you read the Bible. There's only one thing left to happen, and that is the bringing of all things to conclusion, all things to consummation. It's all getting there. And I'm glad you held out your hands like that, because I want everybody to stretch out their hands. So we're not living here, and 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 we are saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and we are the bride of Christ. But we're not at the beginning. Are we at the beginning of the church age? Are, are we here in the church age? Or are we here at the church age? I never worry about messing anybody's hair up. Uh, are we? Where are we? And my thing this morning that I want to say is that we really need to consider this. We've been in the church age for 2,000 years. Are we nearing the day when these things will begin to unfold so that we're seeing the coming of Christ? It is going to happen. Do you believe it's going to happen? It's going to come at some time. Thank you all very much. You all can be seated and give them a hand. So now I want to talk to you very briefly about some guidelines. If you would, hear the Word of God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 talks about Abraham. And God made a promise to Abraham. He said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you in you shall all the world be blessed. Well, we would say we don't always see it that way. But if you turn for a moment to Romans chapter 11, and when we talk about living in these last days and in the church age, uh, this, this kind of stands out, and we struggle with it. I, I love the book of Romans. I really do. Romans chapter 8 is my favorite chapter in all of God's Word. But some people would say, well, God is totally done with Israel. That, that, you know, you can't use that uh, uh, as an illustration as to what's going on in our world. But I, main, I maintain this morning that God is not finished with Israel. And listen to what he says in Romans chapter 11. He says this, verse 15, 
For if the casting away of them to the reconciling of the world be to the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the firstfruits be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, the promises of God. Boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root. And I'm reading King James, I know it's a little confusing. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Folks, we have been grafted in. But our salvation is in Jesus Christ. It's not in Israel. It's not in Israel. And Israel's salvation is in Jesus Christ. It's not in Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham, a promise that he will keep, he will bless. He certainly will. But today, Israel's salvation is resting clearly on whether or not they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. They must trust Christ. Thou wilt say the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, but, uh, but, and thou standest by faith. Don't be high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell. Severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted in their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that you be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall be saved. Now, does that mean every single Jewish person is going to be saved? Every single Jewish person that trusts in Jesus Christ is going to be saved. That's what he is saying. Now, there are so many things that are going on that I don't understand, but... Let me just share some things from thoughts from Dr. John Phillips, who was a tremendous Bible scholar, and he actually served in the British Army during the days of the uh, mandate, the British mandate in Israel. And he wrote these words. He said, it might be appropriate here to consider briefly the course of Israel's suffering. Both sacred and secular history tell a long tale. The first large-scale attempt to exterminate the Jews was made by Pharaoh. Significantly, the turning point came in Moses' life when he saw in the desert this burning bush, which flamed and blazed away, but, not, but for all the cracking of the fire, it was not consumed. That bush, according to Dr. Phillips, clearly symbolized Israel, which cannot be consumed despite the ceaseless hatred of her foes, because God is in her midst. In other words, God has a plan for Israel. Israel cannot be assimilated into the nations, nor can she be exterminated by the nations. She is a burning bush in the wilderness, a gulf stream in the ocean of mankind. The Jew today is the purest-blooded and proudest descended people in the world. Now, I might be a German-American, which I am, but 
most Jewish people that live in our country would not consider themselves to be Jewish Americans. They would say they're an American Jew. There's something about that. And he said the Jew today is the purest-blooded, proudest, descendant people in the world. What he was when Tyre fell or when the temple went up in smoke, that he is today. His language, his literature, his customs are much the same. The Jew has been persistently hated and hunted by the Gentiles. Even England, along the refuge of the downtrodden and the outlawed, did not always offer asylum to the Jew. Canute banished them all from England a thousand years ago. Edward I drove everyone of them from England's shores in France and Germany. They were blamed for the Black Plague and were terribly treated. That same year that Columbus discovered America, Spain drove all the Jews from the kingdom. The Inquisition wrecked its cruelties upon them in the name of Christ. We are not so far removed from World War II, but what we know of the atrocities that were committed. And I knew, I have buried through the years so many World War II soldiers, but... One man in particular was with the 82nd Airborne that dropped in at Normandy behind the lines. And he told the story when they began to find these death camps across Germany and the extermination and the piles of bodies. And it still plagued him in the night. And it took place. It really took place. Kaim Wiseman declared it, Anti-Semitism is proportionate to the number of Jews per square kilometer. He said, we carry the germs of anti-Semitism in the knapsacks of our back, on our backs. Aren't you sad today that we live in a nation that hates Jewish people? There is no room for anti-Semitism in the church. None whatsoever. In modern times, anti-Semitism has reached epidemic proportions. Indeed, in 1882, there were outbreaks of atrocities across, uh, among the Jews in Russia. In France in 1894, the Dreyfus Affair was an attempt to make the Jew the scapegoat for national problems and to give the French anti-Semites an opportunity to out oust Jews from the highest ranks of the army. In Germany, the rise of Jews to prominent positions in the professions, industry, Commerce, science, literature, and the arts gave the lie to German theories of racial superiority of the German peoples. Ultimately, there came Hitler in the death camps. Now the mantle of chief persecutor of the Jews is worn by the Arab states. But the end is not yet. The worst is yet to come. No wonder the woman pictured in Revelation is a figure of the suffering of Israel. But the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 24. Are you all with me? Yeah, I, I don't want to lose you because this is, this is heavy. Matthew chapter 24 says, God is going to regather Israel. And in Ezekiel chapter 16, or chapter 36, listen to these words. You don't have to turn there. God was saying to Israel when they were in Babylon, in Assyria, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your faith, faith, filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. 
I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them, and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That has not happened yet. He has put Israel back in the land of the Lord, but the Lord of the land is not back in Israel. So I've been to Israel eight times, and this is what I've discovered. About 2 to 3% of Israeli people believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. When all this news broke out down on the Gaza Strip, I thought of one man that's been a guide for me that lives in Nafar Azu, which that village, that kibbutz was heavily hit. His name is Ralph Lewinson, Ralph, son of Levi. He is not a believer in Jesus Christ, though he's guided Christian groups for years. And neither is he a religious Jew. He said, how can a good God let something like the Holocaust take place? I, I, we've talked to Ralph about it. But I thought about Ralph lives in one of those villages. Ralph is going through this, and, and I've been in contact with him. And, and about in a village of 900 people, 50 of them were killed, and then 20 of them were taken captive. And he and his wife and his family spent 30 hours, up to 30 hours, hiding in a so-called safe room. And he talks about the atrocities and everything that took place. What is it going to take? We know not the day when Jesus Christ will return. But I do believe the day is going to come when Messiah is going to come, and he's going to come through the eastern gates into Jerusalem. In spite of every effort to stop that from happening, it is going to happen. Jesus is going to come again. Jesus said himself that he knew not the day nor hour, only his Father in heaven. But he said, in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So my conversation with Mary Beth a while ago, it's like this. Something's going on in our world. Can you agree with me? Something's going on in our world. Uh, who would have thought about COVID and masks and vaccines and staying at home and closing the buildings down? Who would have thought about that? Who would have thought about all that has taken place in our own uh, uh, political process in the United States? But the focus in our world is not on the United States. The focus in our world is on Israel. Here's what the Word of God says. Trouble is coming. And tribulation is coming. None of it will be avoided. But I have good news for you this morning. Jesus is coming again. And He's coming to catch His bride away. The headlines, all is focused that way. The timeline, where are we? We're nearing the end of the age. The guidelines, learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, it putteth forth leaves. You know that summer is nigh. Understand this, this generation shall not pass till all these things come to pass. And so we've interpreted that terminology, this generation, this generation, this generation. And we've said it has to be now, it has to be now, it has to be now. And people will say, well, do you believe? What do you believe about the tribulation? I think there's going to be a whole lot of tribulating take place before the tribulation actually happens. But I wonder, are we nearing that point? Our, our world has changed. 
It has changed in three years since I was here. And I didn't change it, by the way. Since I was here, things changed. So, headlines, timelines, guidelines. There was an old Baptist preacher down in Fort Smith, Arkansas, named J. Vernon McGee. No, not J. Vernon McGee, but J. Harold Smith. One of those initial preachers, you know, J. J. Harold Smith. And he preached a sermon called God's Three Deadlines. And it was, it was a tough sermon. If you, you can hear it on the internet. You can go out there and find it because it is, it is one of the purest presentations of the gospel with a note of fear in it that you're ever going to hear. But he said that we have three deadlines. He said there's the deadline of the withdrawal of the Holy Spirit. There's the deadline of death. And there's the deadline of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You don't want to cross those deadlines. Now, God calls us. God calls us. God invites us. God, God pleads with us. God works in our life. The night that I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior, the thought that came to my heart that night was that if I didn't get saved that night, I had no idea if there would ever be another opportunity to be saved. This might be my last chance. Was I wrong in that? You say, well, Brother Monty, you've lived now all these years. You're soon going to be 70. I know I don't look near that old, but you thought I was 80. But uh, you, you are 90 or whatever. But, you know, I've lived all those years. And so obviously you've lived a long time. And yeah, but you understand something. God's Word says in John chapter 6, verse 44, No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. No one can come to Jesus except they feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit, that the, the Holy Spirit, and I don't want to go back with feelings again, but no man can come to Jesus except there is that drawing of the Holy Spirit, and the drawing of the Holy Spirit is simply the desire to come to Christ. But what happens if you sin away that day of grace? What happens if there is no more desire there for you? If you don't desire it, if you don't want it, then don't come, but, but for... All of us, the word goes out that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're not going to call on something that you do want. So if you want to be saved, why wouldn't you call on the name of the Lord? I don't like to go to the dentist. But when I need to go to the dentist, the dentist is my best friend. I'm going to find him. I'm going to call him. I, several years ago, something went wrong in my back. My wife tried to stretch me. My brother and my wife tried to stretch me. It was some kind of torture thing they were doing. They're trying to get my back straight. I finally, the first time in my life, went to a chiropractor, and he helped me. Well, I, I go back to that guy. If I have a need, I'm going to try to find him. When it comes to our salvation, there's only one place to go. And he's, only really, he's the only one that can really put you in shape. He's the only one that can cleanse all your sins and give you hope. And if you have a desire, why would you delay that desire? Why would you tarry with that desire? When the Holy Spirit calls you to respond, you need to respond. And then death is a deadline. There is a time we know not when, a place we know not where, that marks the, whatever the rest of that poem is, I just lost it. I'm going to be 70 years old. The mark's the destiny of man for heaven or despair. Yeah. So there's a, there's a line out there. One night, I'm close to the end, and I'm, I'm going to get you out of here. I can hear the stomachs growling because you think it's noon. 
And it ought to be. <laughs> One Sunday night I was preaching. I was pastor in Leachville, Arkansas. And a guy came in wearing bib overalls. And I noticed him. He had taken a little bit of nippet on his way in. He had been drinking a little bit. That's the best way to listen to my sermons. And he'd been drinking a little bit, and he came in the back door, and he looked around, and he said, uh, you think the building will fall in? And I said, I don't think it will. If it does, we'll put it back up. And I knew he didn't. I'd never seen him before, didn't know who the guy was, and I knew he didn't come to church much because he came down and sat on the front row. And I, as a Baptist, anyway, that's this weird bunch of people down here, but uh, he came and sat on the front row, and I preached that night. I don't remember what I preached, but going out the door, he took my hand, and he said, let me talk to you for a moment. Okay, so we stepped back in the little room off the side like that, and he looked at me and told me his name, Everett Rogers, and he said, preacher, God can't save me. And I said, what do you mean God can't save you? God can save anyone. He said, he can't save me, and I said, yes, he can. And he said, no, he can't. I said, yes, he can. God can save you. And he told about a situation. This was his reasoning because when he had been, again, a soldier in World War II, he had thrown a hand grenade in a German bunker that was not full of soldiers. It was full of children in war, much like what's going on in Palestine today. And through all of his years, he could hear the cries of those children and know that he did it. And you could try to explain to him and talk with him. I mean, you know, this PTSD is not a new thing. And so he said, anybody that would do something like that, they cannot be saved. And I said, oh, they can. You know, David had a man killed. Not this David, I don't think. But David in the Bible had a man killed. David committed adultery, stole a man's wife, had the man killed. Paul consented to the death of Stephen. They laid their clothes at his feet. Paul was, you could say, a murderer. He would have said to himself that way. And, I, and, and there are men today on, and women on death row that have come to know Jesus Christ. God can save anyone. Well, he said he can't save me. And so I said, look, take this passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'd walked him through the Roman road, and I said, would you, would you do this? I, Everett Rogers, call upon the name of the Lord, and he saves me. So he did that. And then I said, let's look at this passage of Scripture. All the Father gives me will come to me, and he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I said, you take your name, you put it in that place. I, Everett Rogers, come to Jesus, and he does not cast me out. He does not cast me out. To you today, every one of you, if you will come to Christ, He will not cast you out. And He did that. And there in that office, we got down on our knees and He prayed to receive Christ as His Savior there in that office. He said when it was over, He said, uh, Preacher, He said, can I, can I get baptized Wednesday night? He said, I want to go see my son in Texas. And, you know, that's kind of an evidence. He said, I want to get baptized. Can I get baptized Wednesday night? I was like, well, no, it's a Baptist church. We don't baptize on Wednesday nights. No, I said, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. I got a call the next morning. And on Wednesday, I did not bury him in the waters of baptism. I preached his funeral. Because he'd gone home that night, and he'd laid down. 
and he died. That very night, he called upon the name of the Lord. Let me tell you, there are deadlines out there. The calling of the Holy Spirit, no trifle with that. The fact that every one of us are going to face death someday, it is a reality, and you and I know it. It's just true. But there's coming that day, and we're living in that age when there will be a shout, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And I believe Jesus Christ is going to return, and I don't know. You can get into all kind of dispensational stuff about it and everything else. I just know that central to everything God's Word teaches is that Christ came and He bled and He died and He was resurrected and He ascended and He said this, the angel said, this same Jesus whom you've seen go into heaven will come in the same manner in which He's gone to heaven. He went in the clouds, He's coming in the clouds. He went with an angel surrounding Him, He's coming with angels surrounding Him. He went in all of His glory, He's coming in all of His glory and we need to be ready for His coming because it could happen at any time. Would you bow your head with me this morning? I'm going to let Brother Mike come, if he would, and give this invitation. So whether you do it by responding, if you have not ever trusted Christ as your Savior, then I encourage you to come to Jesus this morning. Or if you do it with a QR code, I don't care. But whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today is the day of, that, of salvation. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Father, I thank you for this church. I pray that you'll bless this church. I pray for our nation. I pray for our leaders. I pray for the people of Israel. And above everything else, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they will turn to you in this great hour of need. In Jesus' name, I pray. Brother Mike.